Hi, this is Elliot, host of Inspired Edinburgh. Please come and check out our Facebook page for all of the latest updates. If I could ask a small favour, please could you subscribe and review our show on iTunes. By doing this, you'll be helping us reach a wider audience and have a greater impact by challenging perceptions and encouraging people to live a more conscious life. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the show and I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Inspired Edinburgh. Powerful conversations helping you reconnect with your purpose. I'm Elliot Reeves and my guest today is Cros Crosley. Uncle Cros, as you're better known, is the mindset technician. You help businesses and individuals transform by teaching people how much power and control they have over their future. For more than 20 years, you've studied human behaviour and how people seem to reprogram themselves for failure. You're an author, an actor, a speaker, and in recent times have been mentor to UK's number one motivational business speaker, Brad Burton. Cros, it's an absolute honour to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much indeed, Elliot. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> it's um, really looking forward to it. Excellent. Likewise. So I've been doing a bit of research and studying in your background. Um, you certainly look to have one, one heck of a story, so I'm, yeah. I'm excited to get into it. <laughs> so the best place to start, I suppose, is at the, the very beginning. Um, you know, who is, uh, who is Cros Crosley? Um, well, I'm almost 70 years old. I went skint, as in skint, <laughs> mm -hmm. when I was 43. Okay. And um, my journey back is what I teach now. Because, um, because of where I was, mm -hmm. I did everything wrong. Huh. And that's where I learned the lesson about we don't do very many good decisions when we're stressed. And I thought I was skint and broke and when I counted everything up, I had $250,000 and I thought I was broke, but everyone else thought I was rich. So that was the mindset thing. And that all of a sudden I started doing, investing that money incorrectly, trying to get back in five minutes what had taken me the previous 25 years to accumulate and spent the next two years working 80 hours a week with my wife to go absolutely skint. So, I'm quite well versed on how our mind changes when we're stressed. <laughs> uh, because basically I could have just sat still, paid myself $25,000 a year, mm -hmm. and at the end of the two years, still had 200,000. So they're hard lessons to learn. But yeah. um, you know, one of the basic things is that you, uh, you mustn't dwell on it. You've got to deal with the cards you've got. And then that was where I started studying um, different things mm -hmm. and I found that there is a formula hmm. to, you know, to creating success because a lot of people in the game um, try and make it a little bit difficult, try and make it a little bit spooky and we'll unlock the secrets and we'll do this and we'll do that. Yeah. And really and truly between you and me and Elliot, it's a load of crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I know you've got some uh, some quite forthright views on the, the personal development industry, um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of getting into those. I suppose it would be interesting for many people, you know, I don't know a huge amount about your sort of early years or your, you know, what, what you were like growing up, where you grew up, that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a bit about that? Well, going right the way back yeah. to when I was young. <laughs> My very first business experience was I borrowed a broody hen and six fertile eggs <laughs> and I was going to be a chicken farmer. 
So I took those home and the lady that loaned me the, uh, the, ch the broody hen said, I forget what the gestation period was now, but, it, but the eggs didn't actually hatch in that time. So in my innocence, I think I was seven, six or seven years old, I took them inside and put some cotton wool on the agar and cracked them open onto the agar. So there I was with these almost fully formed embryos on the cotton wool on top of the agar. I thought I'd speed the process up. Uh, so that was where I learned about you can't rush things. <laughs> Which, but that didn't become very clear until a lot later. But, uh, you know, I've always sort of tried to make things happen a bit too, too quick. Um, and I suppose that's where I learned about the grey area, or as I teach, the steps. Okay. Don't worry about where you are on the steps because they're all relevant. And by climbing the steps and, 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 and enjoying every step and learning it properly until you get to where you want to be, mm -hmm. they are your insurance against the future. Because if you do fall back, you've been there before, and you can get back. If you've jumped the steps, you fall back, and all of a sudden you're in somewhere you've never been before, and the only way is to keep going backwards. Mm -hmm. Then, um, as I say, I lived in a, a, a village in um, Colnebrook, which is near London Airport. There weren't as many planes when I was growing up, but um, we lived in a rather splendid place in Colnebrook. And um, I remember that our phone number was Colnebrook 27. <laughs> so that's going back quite a while. <laughs> then it became Colnebrook 217 and then Colnebrook 2216 as I, as I grew up. So funny how those things stick. Yeah, yeah. Um, I left home when I was 15. Really? I lived with a, 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 one of my very, very early mentors in that, those days, a guy called Phil Lovelace, who was a um, country lad who taught me about... Um, money the, and how we handle money about not spending you know more than what you earn and he was a very very basic sort of guy but very successful in his own right mm. um, I don't know if Phil's still about so I, I'm allowed to say this but he made the cardinal error of trying to get hold of his money without letting the tax man know that what he had mm. and I've always found in my life that every time that I played the game properly things go well. When you're actually trying to do things and avoid people seeing you, you never actually express yourself properly. You never let things unfold properly. So uh, mm -hmm. that was another lesson. So I only ever had two jobs in my life. I've, so I've been self-employed for 50, 55 or say 50 odd years. Wow. One job I had was a, um, I worked at a company called Copper Ad, and I, was, I went there to be in the um, advertising department as an artist doing bits and pieces, and also um, ended up in the sales department by default. <laughs> and then I left there and I went to a place called Munsley Holiday Camp in Norfolk, which I'm told was the inspiration for Heidi High. And when I was there, it could have actually been, <laughs> I could have actually been recording it then. Um, yeah, so that was quite a, quite an experience, quite a buzz. Mm -hmm. um, and I went there as a waiter. And I very soon saw that the guy that was doing the maintenance was having a much better life than me. 
So I made it my uh, job to find out how you got a job on the maintenance and I became his assistant and then he left and I became in charge of the maintenance, which was a much better job than the, the waiting on the yeah. table. So, <laughs> so uh, and then I just, uh, I became self-employed. Um, I had, when I was younger, uh, another deal that I'd done was when I was, uh, I was only about 12 years old and I was at school with Jack Cohen's grandson, and Jack Cohen was the guy that started Tesco's. And uh, his grandson was his great-grandson, but he, he was related to the Cohen, so he's, you know, got this lovely Jewish sort of ability to sort of create money. Mm -hmm. And he come up to me one day at school, and he said, Christ, he said, I bought an old car, cleaned it up, put it out the front, sold it, and earned whatever it was. So, the funny thing is, is once you, that went in, now where was I gonna find, at 12 years old, gonna find a car to sell in a little village in Buckinghamshire, mm -hmm. there was more chance of flying to the moon. But funny enough, two or three months later, I was walking through the village and I just crossed the little railway line at the end of the village and I looked in the garden and there was this car laying there like that. And it was an Austin Somerset, a big bulbous, Thing, and it was covered in dust and I went up to it and it said for sale five pound so I rushed home I checked all my money and I had just over five pound so I thought I'll go down there and see what I can do and I can distinctly remember walking down the road and thinking I'm going to offer him less and see what he says and I, I don't know what made me think it but I said I'm going to offer him less and I was going to offer him £4.50. I said, no, I'll offer him £4. And then if he doesn't agree, then I can, I've got some money to play with. And this is, you know, I don't know where that came from, but I can so clearly remember it. So I went and knocked on the door with my great um, car buying um, ability. I knocked on the door and I went, do you want to take four quid for the car? <laughs> he went, you cheeky bastard. He said, I will. So I went in there and he, he gave me the logbook and handwritten receipt and I rushed back down the village and I got me mum I said mum come on I've got to um, go and pick a car up what what, she, what on earth's going on anyway so gone down the village with mum sat her in the car started out and she'd never driven a column change thing before so I said to the bloke I said how'd you put it in gears <laughs> so my mum put the clutch and he put it in first and we hopped like <laughs> leapfrogged down the village and uh, put it back pulled it in the back of the, um, we had, it was like a coaching house we lived in, right on the main road, but an archway through to the back, so she drove it through there, and I spent the weekend cleaning it with all the cleaning stuff available to be called H2O, and a rag, that's all I had, I cleaned it, and I, I tell you what, it looked like it had just left the showroom, I cleaned every single bit of that over the weekend, cleaning it with brushes and da da da, and it looked beautiful. So I drew, put it in the, where the archway that went through to the back, on the main A4, for sale, 25 pound, knock on Abington, which was the name of the house, mm -hmm. after four o'clock, because that's when I got in from school. Well, that Monday night, knock on the door, and a man said to me, I've come to buy the car. He took it for a drive, he come back and he gave me £25. So at 12 years old, mm -hmm. I had earned the equivalent of a man's two weeks wages.
I was gone. I ain't never going to work for no one else again. I can't see that. So that was the formulation of it and saying, and I just thought, well, we're, as long as there's chimney pots and people, I'll be all right. <laughs> and so when I was 17, um, I, when I was able to drive and do things properly, I started a company called The Minor Men. Well, actually, it wasn't called The Minor Men to start with. It was just, I was just doing cars and we would buy any car and there was me, a bloke called um, Brian Greengrass, and a bloke called Joby Franklin, three of us. And we were all like just doing everything. And as you're doing, you know, when you first start a business, you grab everything and do everything. <laughs> and one day the mechanic came up and he said to me, he said, this is ridiculous. Every time we buy a car, I have to go and buy a workshop manual, learn all about it, do it, do this. He said, why don't we just stick to one car and we said don't be bloody stupid Joby that you can't do that he said yeah but he said we'll only need one workshop manual you know you've got the pickup you've got the vans you've got the cars the convertibles but it's all the same thing we only need and he said eventually I'll be able to do everything double quick because I know exactly how it's going blah, blah. Mm. so we agreed and we started just selling Miners, Morris Miners. So when we, when the auction was on, if we go to the auction, we'd look at the thing. If there's no Morris Miners for sale, we didn't go. So we weren't wasting any time standing at the auction all day hoping. And if there was one for sale, eventually everyone knew that we were the best buyers. No one would give more for a Morris Miner than us. So eventually the price tumbled because no one else bid because yeah. they thought, no, we're going to get it anyway. So it, it just went absolutely crazy and people were ringing us up. Other dealers were ringing us up saying, how much is this worth? Blah, blah, blah. Are you underwriting that? Will you buy it? Yeah. So we didn't even have to go to the auction in the end. And anyone who wanted one, if a dealer, someone said they want one. So it just worked so that because we'd niched to that one thing, yeah. it just went absolutely bananas. And it was, you know, it, it, you cannot believe how powerful niching is because you're the expert in your field. And, yeah. the, and the more you can limit your field, the bigger the expert you can become. But everything that, that, that you do then is relevant. Mm -hmm. So everything we did, even if it was a van, if it was a convertible, if it was a car, if it was a pickup, whatever, mm -hmm. it all went back to it was one thing, the Morris Minor. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. And I remember, I won't bore you, but I remember the very, I bought my wife a car and it was 581LGO was the registration. And it was a split screen, low light Morris Minor, and it was the 49th one off the production line for the Morris Minor. It was one of the first ones, a side valve, first ones built. <laughs> if we had that today, it would be worth quite a few quid. I think yeah. we sold it eventually for about £13.50. <laughs> 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 so, oh, uh, yeah, so there's a little bit of, yeah, of no, background. Really I won't go on because you'll no, have no, to keep fine. stopping me, Elliot. No, because that's, that's absolutely fine. No, no, it's, it's, it's great to hear. Yeah. Uh, it's really very interesting. And, and niching down certainly is one of the things that I hear you speaking about a lot. Yeah. Um, and, and I suppose the, the importance of it. Yeah. What do you think people can... Um, can kind of in what way can people use that? Well, wh whatever you're doing, mm -hmm. you see, the thing is, if you, if you niche, you become expert at it, and you get a name because we're all the same. When we start, when we start in business, when people start a new business up, 
and they might say there might be a, um, a carpenter, but someone says, can you build a wall? And if he's got half an idea, he'll go, yeah, I'll build a wall. Yeah, I'll fit your bath. I'll do this, I'll do that. So all of a sudden, you're all things to all people. So they're at the pub and they say, yeah, Elliot said he's going to do a drive for me. Drive? I thought he was a carpenter or I thought he was this. So they don't know. So if you niche, everyone who knows you knows what you do. They're your best advert because mm -hmm. they know what you do. But if they don't know specifically what you do when they're talking up the pub and someone mentions something, you don't register with them. So the thing is, is that you actually niche and you become the expert. Mm -hmm. And then if you niche within a niche, yeah. So once you've niched and all the stuff that falls off that's relevant and you can actually pick one bit out of that, then all bets are off. But, you know, people knowing who you are and what you do is very, very, very important. Mm -hmm. What would you say your niche is? My niche, I, my niche is dealing with young entrepreneurs is my love getting hold of young entrepreneurs and telling them how powerful they are. Because whether you know this or not, Elliot, when we arrive here as a newborn baby, our brain is programmed for success. And over the years, as human beings, given the ability to sort of, you know, think and work things out, mm -hmm. we spend 20 years letting people fuck it up. <laughs> and that will be the only swear word I use, but I think that's what we've got to call it. It's mucked up because everyone's put their two penneth in. And you see, in our formative years, we, we allow stuff to go in without any filter. Mm -hmm. So all this rubbish is going into your brain, okay? And it can be Auntie Lil, bloke up the pub, it could be anybody mm -hmm. is putting their two penneth into you, but no one's doing it to harm you, Elliot. Mm -hmm. They're all doing it because they think they're helping you because they're gonna stop you failing. Don't, don't, don't go into business, Elliot, because if you fail, so, you know, just you carry on doing it. You know, you go, you go by society's checklist. Don't you do anything outrageous and you'll be all right. But the reality is if you go by society's, society's checklist and don't do anything outrageous, you ain't all right. You, you know, things don't unfold for you. You, you know, you, you, sometimes you can become a bit of a bloody bore because you're not actually expressing yourself properly. So my actual niche is that I've spent 20 odd years studying how I went from on the floor, as low as you could possibly be, mm -hmm. to creating the life that I've got now, which a lot of people would love. I'm, I assure you. In fact, Brad Burton, who you mentioned earlier, <laughs> says when he grows up, him and Kerry want to be me and Val. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm really interested to hear if you're if you're comfortable talking about it. How you got to a really low point? You know what sort of happened in your life that, that took you there? Well, we we'd been quite successful. We went we moved to Australia in 1988 mm -hmm. with our five-year-old daughter because um, we just thought it would be a good life and my parents had emigrated out there years earlier and we went to visit them and it, we just 
loved it. They, they saw the kids on the like beach having their lessons and under trees, and it, it just seemed, you know, if nothing else, I'd love her to have her childhood in Australia. Mm. So we went over there, made a commitment, said, look, she's five, and until she goes to secondary school, we're, we're not we're not thinking about doing anything. Because a lot of people go over there and say, oh, there's no Marks and Spencers. Well, where are the double-decker red buses? Or, you know what I mean? Oh, it's not England in, with, <laughs> with the sun. It's another yeah. country. Yeah. Uh, so you've got to actually make the commitment. So we stayed till she was 11, and then it was great. So went on, and we just stayed there, and it, it was fantastic. And we did a bit. I listened to my cousin, because we'd, always, we'd been doing property, and we were going to go to Australia and do property. And my cousin came up, he said, oh, you can't do it, you need a licence. And I didn't, because he was a builder, so I didn't bother to check. So in, in what I did is I went for the first time in my life and I bought a ready-made business that was a, a, a business that run bouncers, you know, crowd control and mm -hmm. security at big events. And um, we ran that and we um, did it and we, we did a, a, a withdrawal exercise on it where we, we, we were going to put the people in the right places and withdraw and have a lovely, just oversee it and let it happen. And I took a guy off the door and I put him on because And I, you know, I just really thought, yeah, he's the guy. Made him operations manager, gave him a, made him a director of the company and blah, 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 blah. Um, one of the technicalities was when we bought it, we'd bought it with uh, all the, the work that had been done and we didn't realise that they'd give up to three months credit to some people. It was a fortune that was absolutely still at, that we had to pay out to cover to buy that work. Mm -hmm. And we um, we bought that and then we started about set, getting it down to a reasonable thing like a seven day, which was unheard of in, in the industry. And once we got it to that point, there was no need to have any big amount of money behind you, but we'd spent a lot of money on, we'd made it, built a gymnasium for the guys and all that sort of thing. And as soon as that happened, this guy had been working in the background to go to all the clients, because he was the operations manager. He was like, he was in the ear of all the people that are important. And one day, uh, he come to our house at Christmas, and then on the 5th of January, we got the phone call when everyone was going back to work that uh, our biggest customer, was going with a, a new company. I said, quick, get Mike on the phone, we'll sort this out, I'm having this, and blah. Of course, can't get hold of Mike. Mike's white anted us and sort of took the company, formed a new company, mm. nicked all the um, systems, all the staff and everything, so basically left it in a terrible mess. One or two people stayed loyal, but, um, so that was it. And I went to see my, um, lawyer and uh, very very wise man and I went in and I said we've got to do something we've got to do that and I went all excited about because I really wanted to do all sorts of things to this guy and he said well hang on a minute he said I've got some good news and some bad news and he looked over the top of his glasses like that he said Cross the good news is I don't think you could lose this case. <laughs> Lovely. He said, the bad news is, my advice is move on. What? No, no. Don't matter. Whatever you say, I've got to get this guy. Mm -hmm. And this is when you're the principal. Hmm. 
we can't afford principles. No one can afford principles. And that's when you're at your worst, where, yeah, he's going to, you know, he wanted 50 grand to start the thing. And I was even thinking, how could I go and get hold of 50 grand to get this thing underway? Mm. And uh, he said, no, he said, look, the, the, the thing is that if you, he went and found someone fresh out of college, university, who'd just become a, bar a lawyer, he would make, he would be able to muck you about for seven years to get this to court. He said, if you get a wily old bastard like me, I'll be able to muck you about for 10 or 12 years. So the thing is, you've got to hope that he knows how to run a business. Because anything you invest in chasing this money, you don't get it back. Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. You've got to hope that if at the end of the 12 years that he's mucked you about, that he's still got something for you to have. He said, so my advice to you, he says, and mark these words, get on with your life, and I guarantee in 10 or 12 years' time, you'll be in a better place than you would be if you'd been chasing that money. It took a bit of coming to terms with, but that's what we did. And he was right. In 10 years' time, we were in a much better place mm -hmm. because the steps. We've yeah. been there before. So, and, and all, a lot of businesses are the same, you know, it's marketing, selling, or it's manufacturing and selling or whatever. So, you know, once you, and we'd had a lot of different businesses, I won't start listing them because your program's not long enough, <laughs> but, um, but we'd been involved in a lot of different businesses. Mm -hmm. And um, that uh, gave us the, you know, uh, I lost me, train of thought a little bit there. Uh, we'd been involved in a lot of different businesses. Yeah, so the steps. So we knew where we were on each step. And yeah. so that our journey back was a lot quicker once we'd done that. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that we had to do was unhitch the past, mm -hmm. right? Which a lot of people find it very difficult to do. And I found it extremely difficult to do because unhitching the past was forgiving him, and I was gonna find that very difficult to do, but I had li I'd been to seek help on doing that precise thing, which is something that I help people with now. And I, I went and sought help, and they said, well, you, you, you haven't only got to forgive him, I want you to write him a letter so that he knows you've forgiven him. Mm. I mean, I'd do anything and I'll forgive anyone on earth, but I ain't forgiving him for all the grief that he's given me. Mm -hmm. But eventually Val, my wife, who is the sane one of the two of us, said, well, you spend your life bloody telling everyone else what to do about time you listen to something. So I, uh, we wrote a letter and we sent it to him. And the funny thing is, Elliot, as I put that letter in the letterbox, it was as if I had been cured of cancer. I had truly, truly, forgiven him and where I'd been spending so much time mm -hmm. working out how to get revenge and the venom in me mm. all of a sudden that energy was now being used to get me back in the game yeah. but what it was doing was holding me pinning me to the floor all the time I held all that crap mm -hmm. inside me it was pinning me down so that's a great great exercise is it that if there's anything mm. in your past mm that you're spending time worrying about, because we all, I call it the rucksack, <laughs> that we go through life and the divorce, 
the bloke nicked my business, oh, this happened, that happened. Yeah. It's our excuse for now, right? It's, it's handy because anything that goes wrong, we can say, well, that was the divorce settlement. If it weren't for that divorce settlement, this business would be all right. Mm -hmm. Crap. <laughs> Just get on with it. It's an excuse. We carry a lot of that baggage from the past around for mm -hmm. the simple thing that it gives us an excuse. When our friends say, how's things going? So, well, all right, but it'd be better if it wasn't for that. Get rid of it. <laughs> it's not, not any use to you at all. Visit the past to find things that you've learned mm -hmm. and bring them with you to now mm -hmm. because they're valuable. Mm -hmm. But the actual event that taught you that isn't valuable yeah. because it takes up unwanted energy, yeah. right? So get rid of it. And if it's a person, forgive them. And the thing is forgiveness releases you. Mm -hmm. You're the prisoner. He ain't thinking about me. He's spending all my lovely money up the pub or whatever, and yeah. I'm the one who's actually got all this crap going on in my head. So the the, the forgiveness releases you. Yes. Nothing to do with him, mm -hmm. right? So you forgive that person, and that releases you as the prisoner. You get and get on with your life. Mm -hmm. But that's very, very valuable information. You just don't keep dragging the past around with you. Yeah. Because you just, you know, you've got to free yourself. Life's hard enough without dragging all that rubbish around yeah, with absolutely. you. absolutely. You know? Yeah. It's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Precisely. <laughs> and that's exactly, that's, that, that's it. That's, re that's revenge and it's bearing a grudge. Absolutely correct. Yeah. No value to it at all. Mm. So, so what are some of the things when you're coaching or working with people now, um, to try and uncondition them from the bad habits that they've been taught, you know, during their upbringing? What are the things that you can teach them and set them up for success? Well, the, th the thing is that there's, there's three things. Over the years, I've done it. Now, I've took a lot of stick from people who've said, that's, don't make it so simple, because there ain't nothing to unlock. You know, all these things that the self-employed, you know, the, uh, self-development yes, people, they say, yeah. come and we'll unlock this and we'll do this and we'll do this. It's rubbish. What they do is they get you in there, build you up to a euphoria, telling you what they can do and what you can have and this, that, and you rush up the back and buy this and do that and do that. Rubbish. It's absolute crap. There, you, or I can teach you in one day, I do a one-day workshop, and in that day, I can give you all the tools you need. You need tune-ups because the thing is, that when I ain't sitting on your shoulder, you start going, oh, I don't know if this is right. Because it ain't easy. Mm -hmm. It's simple, but it's not easy to implement. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Right? So <laughs> what, I, what I do to people is I just tell them how powerful they are. And we've forgotten the natural ways. Now, one of the most amazing things is, give me a big smile, Elliot. Now try and feel venomous towards someone. Yeah. Can you difficult. do it? No. Right, now drop your mouth. Now think about being venomous. Can you do it? Mm -hmm. Right, now that's amazing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. That's natural, yeah. but we don't do it. So the simple process of walking around with a smile on your face, you don't have all them thoughts of revenge and... But we don't do it. We prefer to have our mouth going around like that. But that's... See, that is... The uh, your mind telling you it's impossible to smile and think bad things and try and do bad things. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. 
And it, but it's easy. And you can't think of good things when your mouth's drooping. Yet you look all wrong the high street when you're walking up the street tomorrow, how many people are smiling. And what, what is that then? Is that social conditioning? Well, that... well it, it's, yeah, it's our protection, isn't it? It's like it's the, what a baby learns, you know. When it's smiling, it gets good things coming to it. Yeah. And when it's crying, it's, you know... It's... So it's, it's, mm -hmm. just, it's just the way that we are. That's our, our pro protection, right? Because mm -hmm. there's, there's only two things that, that, that we're built for. And that's fight and flight. Mm. The decision we make is do we stand and have a row or do we bugger off? Right? That's it. Like a computer. Mm -hmm. A computer, you know, I don't, I've been told this, there's only two things, yes and no. It's binary, yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh -huh. And then it goes yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, enough <laughs> times to come to an answer. But we don't. We've got, we've got the maybe. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. We've invented maybe. So we've got the best computer in our head ever built. And we've included, it works on yes, no, fight or flight, yes or no. But we, the human, has put in maybe. <laughs> now, dogs don't have maybe. Ducks don't have maybe. Mm -hmm. Chickens don't have maybe. Nothing else in the world with a, a mind or a brain has maybe, except the human being. Mm -hmm. Now, and we're meant to be clever, aren't we? Right? Yeah. Your cat, that ain't your cat ain't thinking about paying a mortgage, is it? No. It ain't lying there worrying about paying school fees, is it? What's it thinking? I wonder when Elliot's gonna come and give me a bit of milk. <laughs> I wonder when he's gonna feed me. And if if you don't, he comes up and starts going, Excuse me, excuse me, have you forgotten something? Mm -hmm. No, it's just natural. Mm -hmm. Everything else in nature has got it together. Except the one that's meant to be the intelligent one yeah. mucks it all up. Now Tell me why. So going back to your question, I get hold of people and I tell them the three simple things that I've learned over all the years that I've been doing this that are the only things you need to know. Not simple to do, but you need to know where you're going, which I call the clear mental image. And that don't involve money, and it, don't inv it involves what you want, right? Now, most people say, I, I, I can ask a, a group of people, say, now who knows where they're going? Three or four people, maybe four, put their hand up, and it could be a group of 100. Mm -hmm. So, right, but everyone else, no. So, well, hang on a minute, you don't know where you're going. And those people that put their hand up only know where they think they can get. It's not where they want to be, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. So, once again, we're, we're, so, see, we're, we're built to perform on a vision, a goal. And once we know where we're going, the universe sets about getting us there, right? So once you know where you're going, and make it where you want. Give yourself a bit of a stretch, right? And put it into the future. Now, the only reason you put it in the future, I always say five or 10 years time, mm -hmm. but that's only for you, not the universe. Because the universe don't know the difference between a second or a thousand years. It's just time, <laughs> yeah. right? But we do. So if I said to you, get a vision and have it by next week, you'll stress out, right? Because there's only two things that give us stress. That's time and money. Mm -hmm. And it's normally the lack of both <laughs> that gives us stress. Yeah. So they know where you're going. Mm -hmm. Make where you are where you want to be. And that means most people 
I look at going along and they're going, yeah, I'm going to work hard this week and next week and I'm going to not see the family this week because I'm going to be working because when I get there, I'm going to be happy. Hmm. Don't work that way. You can only have happiness now. Happiness isn't a destination. Happiness is. And I say, wherever happiness goes, you being happy, success and wealth are sure to follow. But it don't work the other way around. Getting success and wealth won't make you happy because mm. you've got to take the happiness with you. Make yeah. sense? Yeah. So you've got to make where you are where you want to be. Because if you are a miserable bastard <laughs> now, guess what? <laughs> you take that with you. Yeah. And there's so many people that get to a point where they've just buggered up their life by missing time with their families, missing holidays and all that, convinced that once they get this big pile of money <laughs> and they get to that point, they're going to be happy. Mm -hmm. Well, we've got plenty of proof that that doesn't work. We've got plenty of proof. You've even got that guy Ant. Yeah, from Ant right. and Deck now. Yeah. Now he ain't short of a few quid, is he? <laughs> yeah. And he's in bits. <laughs> yeah. Right? I know. Because what he's done is he's looking, and, 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 and I was in, involved in the music industry in the early days, and I met a lot of very famous people that were very, very insecure, but they all said, once I get here, it'll be all right, and it mm -hmm. doesn't work. You've got to be happy now. That's so important. Mm -hmm. The third thing, we've talked about the past. Hmm. You can't be happy now if you're dragging the past around with you. So cut the past, bring with you all the bits and pieces that you've learned through the things that went wrong. So it's been valuable, mm -hmm. right? Bring them with you to today. Make today, now, where you wanna be, and everything will automatically unfold on its way to getting what you want. <laughs> and I make I make a guarantee on that. And then and when people buy into this mm -hmm. and relax into it, it all happens. But everyone see in the modern society we're just so racing to do everything and wanting instant results and this. But it, see, this this unfolds as quick as you allow it to unfold. But once again the maybe comes into play, yeah. right? So oh, maybe what he told me is true, but perhaps I'll just change this little bit, right? <laughs> okay? Yeah. Right. Relax, let it happen. No, I just, look, I'll, I think I'll stay stressed for a little bit longer, right? And it don't work. You've got to, you know, I've seen it so many times the power of relaxing. In fact, my banners, relax, relax, relax. They're, if you only ever took three things away from my talks and, <laughs> and that was relax, 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 things would change in your life. Because once you're relaxed, the things start happening. And I don't want to get too technical, but your mind is made up of the conscious and the subconscious. Now, your conscious mind can only function if it's got all the data to make the decision, right? Mm -hmm. Now, what happens is when we ain't got all the data, we start going, oh, God, what if, what, 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 right? Stress. If you ain't got all the data in your conscious mind, 
sling it into the subconscious and forget about it. And guess what will happen? Eventually, the solution comes. <laughs> but you see, the subconscious mind doesn't need all the data, yeah. right? Because it's, it's not controlled by needing everything to make the decision. It's very flexible. So that's why when you're on holiday, lying on the beach, <laughs> Everything's solved, isn't it? You're nice and relaxed. Yeah. Couple of gin and tonics. Yeah. Lovely bit of sun. And all the problems at home dissipate. <laughs> and you get solutions. Oh, well, I'll do that. I'll fix that when I get home and I'll do that and I'll sell the car and we're buying. And everything's going on. It doesn't, see, the subconscious doesn't need all the, the bits and pieces. But mm -hmm. it's, you're actually going into the only little bit left from when you were young when you were a baby, because a lot of the subconscious is buggered up with Auntie Lil and Bill up the pub and all them other people, but there's a little <laughs> bit there. If you can get into that bit, everything sorts itself out. It does it on autopilot. Mm -hmm. And what, we're so ridiculous in, in ourselves that we want to start controlling everything. Mm -hmm. And yet the minute that we forget is how many times have you lost something? And they say, oh, as soon as you give up, a little picture of the last place you saw it yeah. pops into your head. <laughs> well, why don't we use that facility? <laughs> eh? Why do we keep wanting to... We ain't got all the details, so just let it relax and the answer will pop into your head. It works yeah. perfectly every time, but we feel that need to control it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on um, the law of attraction and the secret? I know you've spoken about these a, yeah. a bit. Well, I actually was on um, uh, on the same course as Rhonda Byrne, actually, many, many years ago on the Science of Getting Rich, which she was what she based all that on. And listen, it's it, uh, it was great. It made an awareness, okay? Mm -hmm. The law of attraction is basically knowing what you want, mm -hmm. relaxing, <laughs> and allowing it to happen. Now, I believe there's um, a vibration Mm -hmm. I, I, put, I honestly believe that. I mean, you can walk in a room and everyone could be sitting here and you'll know whether it's friendly or yeah. alien, right? So we, all, we do all vibrate. and we, So you've got to vibrate at the point that attracts you. So the mm -hmm. thing is, what a lot of people do is they vibrate with misery <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and want to attract happiness. It don't work, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. But, you know, you start a day in a good mood, you nine times out of ten it will carry on in a good mood. So... You know, we are in control. We do pass it out. You don't meet many grumpy people when you've got a big smile on your face because they avoid you, right? But you attract a load more grumpy people when, you've got, when you go around like that. Yeah. So I believe in that. Now, the, the law of attraction, I think they, they made it very simplistic. You've got to do your bit. And the secret was lovely and it was all fluffy. Uh, uh, you know, looking in the window, one in this, that, and the other, and it, that ain't what happens. What it is is that the, the, it's the vision of what you want, not fucking private jets and all that, because that don't make you. It's great if you want to, like we always used to say in Australia, like if you want to go on a big boat, find a friend who's got one, right? Because if he's got enough money to do the boat and bits and pieces, just go and be a good mate to him, because they all look for crew. You know, most people would get a big bow. The thing they ain't got is friends, yeah. right? Because they spent their whole life ignoring them all, saying it'll all sort itself out when I get there. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't. And we got Mr. Philip Green, the bloke who went all through his life, buggered everyone at BHS, nicked all their pension money and this, that and the other, sitting on a huge boat in the Mediterranean, bobbing about on a huge boat 
in one end of the sofa and his missus the other end of the sofa looking at each other, miserable as sin. They mm -hmm. fucking hate each other, <laughs> right? Yeah. And you know why he can't get rid of her? He put everything in her name to avoid paying tax. <laughs> so he can't even get rid of his wife. So how miserable can he be? Yeah. But, as I say, but all the way through his life, he definitely was going, it will be all right when I get here. No, mm. there's only now. Mm -hmm. And that's the only thing you've got any control over. You can't control. You know, you can have the best plans in the world. Get, go outside and get run over. Yeah. <laughs> you ain't planned that, have you? But yeah. so enjoy now. <laughs> that's what I, I try and do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How would you describe your attitude towards money? Money. I... The, 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 the thing is, is the more desperate you get about money, the less you'll get of it. You've just, got, you've just got to know. You see, it's like when you create your vision, it's not about money. It's about what you will do with the money. Because, see, money's not... Money's just a, a means of exchange. Mm -hmm. And don't get me started on the fiat system. I don't know if you know about the fiat system, but anyone watching this program, Google it. Money don't exist. It's a figment of our imagination. And if it's, we've got the only banknote in the world that says, I promise to pay the bearer on demand the sum of one pound, or it used to be, but now it's pay the bearer, right? No other country in the world says that. You know why? Because what are you going to do if you go into the Bank of England with a five pound note? What are they going to give you? Another five pound note, right? Everyone thinks it's supported by gold. It ain't. 1972, Nixon put an end to all that because because of inflation and all that. For all this, we got to be secured by gold, and they yeah. they took the gold standard away. So then it was all bets were off. <laughs> they were just printing money like it was confetti. Mm -hmm. So it it's just our faith in it happening. Money's just zeros on computers. It's yeah. all rubbish. <laughs> you you work out that a bank is allowed to lend you, uh, the average is 17% times what's put in, in cash, okay? So you go along to a bank and borrow a thousand pound, you borrow it off that bank, and that then creates a mythical real thousand pound. Mm -hmm. You put it into that bank, and that bank's now got your mythical thousand, but on their paperwork, it shows it as a deposit of real money, but it ain't real. They've just invented it up the road. <laughs> so now they can lend 170,000, or yeah. 17 times whatever it is, 17,000. Yeah. Or based on that mythical. And then someone <laughs> borrows that 17,000 and goes to another bank. Mm -hmm. So there's no money. It's just all mythical. And it's only our belief, right, that it's supported by all these different things. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, it, it's just a joke. Why would the countries give away the power to print the money? <laughs> we don't. No, no bank, no country in the world has got in, their own, their, their main bank. The mm -hmm. federal bank is owned by the Rothschilds in America. Mm -hmm. The Bank of England's owned by the Rothschilds. So every bank, every country in the world has got a bank that's owned by the Rothschilds that's got the right to print the money. Mm. The Rothschilds are the richest family on the planet, but don't appear anywhere on a rich list. So you tell me what's going on. <laughs> yeah. So don't get me started on that. 
What's, what's interesting, and you said this earlier on, was the fact that you had £250,000. Yeah. And yet your perception was that I you was were skin. skin. So yeah. it's, uh, I suppose I'm, I'm interested in the idea that um, wealth is the perception of abundance kind of thing. You know, it's like if Richard Branson woke up tomorrow and had a million pounds, he would feel skin. You yeah. give £10 to somebody who's homeless, they feel he feels in a position of abundance. Yeah. Yeah. That is, it is, because look, uh, uh, at the end of the day, it's all, it's all relevant. Mm-hmm. I, where I'd come from, mm-hmm. 250 grand wasn't going to cut it. <laughs> so I was tweaking because I said, oh God, you know, all the, the different things. But if I'd have just took stock, and that's the value. So what do I teach people and what do we talk about? Yeah, mm-hmm. I, 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 make, I put things in perspective as actually where they are. Because a lot of people get confused where they are. Mm. As I say, if I'd stood still and done nothing, I'd have been 200 grand better off. <laughs> right? By doing nothing. But I worked 80 hours a week with my wife, seven days a week, to go skin. <laughs> By starting a, a business that I had no passion for, mm. I loved setting it up. It was great. But running it was another thing. It was a, a dessert restaurant. <laughs> I'd nick the idea from off a place in... Um, New Zealand called Death by Chocolate, and we opened a business called Deadly Desserts. Was aptly named because it nearly killed us. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so all that all that stuff comes into play, yeah. and I've been involved in I suppose fifty different businesses in my life, and it's I'm very very lucky that I can actually talk to someone, and I can very quickly have empathy with where they are. Mm-hmm and give them a little bit of advice based on looking back. Yeah. Of saying, well, you know, yeah, it might not look that obvious now, but if you do that, I think that'll happen because of this. So that's that's really the... Yeah, know, yeah, the it's interesting because obviously Brad Burton, who we spoke about, he has this idea that the um, the worst day of your life and the best day of your Always life... Always ends up. ...being the sort yeah. of bookends. Yeah. Which the, is ba- the worst day of your life, because you see... The reason that is, is because it makes you make a major decision, mm-hmm. you see? And this, uh, uh, and eventually you have to make that decision. As I say, there's loads of people that have fallen and they're, they're down, and, they, and, and what they need is they need an injection of energy to say, look, this ain't gonna happen. Mm-hmm. You ain't gonna have the luck to get up to the top of the stairs. Mm-hmm. And if you do, if you've missed out the steps, you become like a pool's winner. Yeah, right? Yeah. Now, I'm not being big-headed, but if if a big chunk of money dropped into my bank at the moment, it wouldn't change my vibration at all because I wouldn't do anything different mm-hmm. because I'm at a position where I'm comfortable and, you know, things are nice. I don't really want anything different to happen in my life. I tend to do what I want to do when I want to do it. <laughs> but it's, you know, with someone who hasn't got any money, that big amount of money drops into their thing and then they they start changing because... They're not used to that. So they all of a sudden they start, oh, and all the phone calls start, can you lend us a few quid, Elliot? Elliot, um, my mum's a bit ill, I've got to go up to the hospital and she needs a wooden leg or, you know what I mean? So you get all yeah. the phone calls, all the begging letters, and um, you don't know how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And then eventually you win three million quid and about two years later you've got eight quid in the bank. You say, what happened, right? So it's, <laughs> it's all relevant. Like, you know, we know so many pools winners and we see the stories of them, you know, going wrong. And I yeah. see, that don't make no sense to me, all these huge wins and all that. It just destroys lives. Mm-hmm. Don't do anyone any good. Mm-hmm. You know, like 
something I read the other day, 120 million, someone wrong. Wouldn't it be nice to have 250,000 half a millions? <laughs> yeah. Eh? <laughs> they make 250,000 people happy instead of one person unhappy. Mm. It, you know, it, there's got to be something done about distribution of wealth, you know? Mm -hmm. It's it's just totally crazy, agree. you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, totally. some, something's got to be done about it. Mm -hmm. what, what are your views on um, the self-help, personal development industry as a whole? <laughs> well, I, as you say, I've been working with um, Brad. Mm -hmm. um, turned him into a bit of hippie, actually. He's, <laughs> uh, no, he, but he's, he, it's funny how, you know, so congruent that we are about you know what I've done and stuff from the past and what he's learned and come together so mm -hmm. it's it's just nice um I've got to drop on him because I'm about 30 years older than him so I've got the benefit but he reminds me so much of me <laughs> and we've actually been working on really exposing mm -hmm. these charlatans because I, I I couldn't sleep at night if if I had to get my money by cheating people because the people that that you cheat in are vulnerable. Mm -hmm. You're selling them certainty, as Brad says. You know, yeah. they're selling certainty, and they and they, you know, they can't, they can't unlock the secret. So how long is it going to be down the track that they're going to unlock the secret? Because you go there thinking they're going to unlock it, mm -hmm. and then they sell you a five thousand pound workshop or course that's going to unlock it, mm -hmm. and then you do the course. And it still ain't unlocked. Yeah. So when does this unlocking happen? Well, the reason they can't unlock nothing is because there ain't nothing to unlock. Trust me, all your listeners, all the people that are listening to this, listen, it's all cobblers. At the end of the day, you do them three things that I've said. There's loads of little add-ons, and it ain't easy. Mm -hmm. But that's all you need to know. Know where you're going. Know, make where you are where you want to be and get rid of the things. And then all the different things add on. Yeah. They, they make sense. But but how then, I suppose, and this is just, I suppose, personal curiosity, how do you determine the value of the things that you teach? For example, there's people in the personal development industry who will equally teach maybe similar stuff, yeah. and they'll maybe put another zero or two zeros on the end of what they're charging. Yeah. How do you decide? Well, look, li listen, uh, to, to, if you want the honest truth, I don't judge myself against anyone else, mm -hmm. okay? I get up in the morning and say, I'm gonna, this is my day. I'm gonna live it how I wanna live it. I haven't intentionally ever goosed anyone in my life. And if I have, I apologize, right? Even when I was at my lowest, I could not have actually lied to someone to draw money out of their pocket, mm -hmm. okay? So I, my, my thing is I don't judge myself against anyone else. I know what I do works. And every one of my workshops and everything I do, mm -hmm. if you come to me honestly and say that you don't think you've had value or you think it's a load of old rubbish, mm -hmm. you can have your money back. So I know that what I do works. Mm -hmm. I've, I've had two, I've had so much, so many results. Yeah. People, I've still got people from 25 years ago keeping in touch with me. And, they, and I've got loads of different sayings because what I try and do is I try and make it my own. Mm -hmm. So I have things like circular thought, transitional disruption, relax, 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 the holiday brain and all these things mm -hmm. so that people remember them. And But they're all relevant because it makes 
you know, it just puts it into perspective for people. So, they, you know, when something happens, I mean, I've got the, the, the thing what we're saying about the brain needs everything. Mm-hmm. To, to, the conscious mind needs yeah. all the data. So I say, right, have I done everything I can? Is there anything else I can do? So if you've got a problem or a situation that's worrying you, have I done everything I can? Is there anything else I can do? Yes, no, sling it in the bin. <laughs> Put it in the subconscious, right? Until it presents itself. Mm-hmm. But Mark Twain, who wasn't the stupidest man on earth, I assure you, he was a very <laughs> clever man. He said, worrying works. Because 99% of the things I worry about never happen. And that's true. Yeah. But we, that, so that's one of the things we have to teach how to do that, get rid of it. But it's not easy. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not being it's not, irresponsible. Yeah. Uh-huh. But if, if you can't do anything about it, worrying won't change it. It will just make you ill. Yes. Right? So yeah. that's, that's something that I teach. But mm-hmm. I know all this stuff works, Elliot. Mm-hmm. Right? And, I, and I've got too much evidence, right? But the thing is, Uncle Cross does wander around and I've got big ears. Listen, look at them, big for listening, right? And I listen. And if someone could give me something, evidence, that will change, I'm not stuck in my ways, mm-hmm. but the funny thing is I dug a video out the other day what I made 15 years ago. And it's, I still stand by exactly what it says. I might have said it a little bit better now because I've sort of got a bit more practice in speaking. Yeah. But, but I still stand by what it says. But if someone can convince me otherwise, right, then I'll change. But you could torture me and I wouldn't change my views on, on, on what I teach because mm. I know it works. Mm. And the only person that can fuck it up, Elliot, <laughs> is who? <laughs> yeah. You, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, but you see so many people, they, they, they do do that little bit. They've got their fingers crossed behind their back and they say, oh, I'll do, oh yeah, I'll do it half do that bit. You can't half do it. It's like being half pregnant. You're either <laughs> pregnant or you ain't pregnant. And so, you know, you can't say I'll be half pregnant, can you? <laughs> no. So you've got to be all in or nothing. So mm-hmm. this stuff, and it ain't easy. It ain't easy when you're absolutely desperate. And, and it's okay for me sitting there and saying, well, this is what you've got to do. Because everyone starts saying, well, it's all right for you. So, well, yeah, it was all right for me when I spent two years making myself really skint, making myself ill, stressing out. Mm. So I, I went about learning how to cope with those situations. Mm. So I ain't telling you to do something I ain't done myself. <laughs> I know what it's like to be hiding behind the door with someone knocking on what's the nice nick a few quid or, or, or you've got to pay them. Yeah. I know what it's like to have to sort of dodge and duck and dive and weave, right? Mm. But the point is, is that if I knew what I knew now, I wouldn't have got into the positions that made me have to do that. Mm. So as Brad says, the worst day of your life is the best day of life because I now use all the things that went wrong, all the things the failures mm-hmm. to teach. Yeah. And when someone says to me to come in and say, oh yeah, yeah, you know, but you wouldn't understand. I said, well, tell me the full story. And they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, well, hang on a minute. And I go into the cross archives <laughs> and I bring one up and say, well, how about this then? <laughs> Try this on the size. <laughs> and all of a sudden yeah. we've got empathy. Yeah. 
Because yeah. I can always find something that's worse. For, you know, it's, it's fantastic. I can yeah. always find something worse. And losing a multi-million pound company overnight to, from, to someone you loved, mm -hmm. that takes some getting used to. Mm. And all the things that have happened in my life are all relevant today. Mm -hmm. If I hadn't lost that business, I wouldn't be sitting here with you now. Yeah. How marvellous yeah. is that? <laughs> hey? Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. It's, yeah, yeah. It's the, the idea that you can only join the dots uh, looking back, you know. And that's it. And that yeah. is the power. And, and, and you see, sometimes when people, when I see people in the personal development space of 23 years old, talking about how to create a life. They ain't even had a life. They're still embryos to me, aren't they? <laughs> so what, can, what are they going to teach? What have they learned? Yeah, right? exactly. You've got to fall off the horse a few times mm -hmm. and then get back in the game. And yeah. once you've done that a few times, I mean, I've been up and down like a donkey's dangler like that. Up and down, up and down. But at the end of the day, I've learned from everything. Because mm -hmm. you're a fool, aren't you? If you know, if you burn your hand when you put it in the boiling water, <laughs> and then the next day you, your hand's all healed and you do it again, you're yeah, an idiot. Yeah. We can all excuse it once, can't we? But you do it twice, mm -hmm. then you're you're responsible. But um, you know, with regards to the uh, personal development space at, at the moment, um, and Brad, bless him, he's working on that, mm -hmm. uh, and he's got this movement called Now What, and he's really just giving so much value to you know to, to helping people and doing he's got this little group that he's got and it's it, the space now is the fact that i mean i've been to gigs where there's more speakers on stage and there's people in the audience is everyone thinks they're a business coach or they're this coach or they're that and this that and you have read a book yeah. and all that yeah. um <laughs> you've got to you've got to look at the person and you've got to make the decision before they can help you, you've got to say, do I trust the messenger? Hmm. Has that person got the information and the knowledge to help me? Can I believe that person? And I believe that Brad, through what he's done, hmm. I mean, he's sort of dragged up in the you know, back streets of Salford and all this, that and the other. So there's a, there's a lot of rough, rough edges, but I tell you what, that man's got a heart of gold hmm. and he wouldn't hurt anyone. He goes out there and he helps them. And now he's in a position where he's created a multi-million pound company. Mm -hmm. He's withdrawn. And as I say, um, we've, we've worked together on the fact of relaxing him because he was like a bull in a china shop. He was <laughs> going full, flat out. And I said to him, I said, Brad, there's better ways of doing this, mate. You've got your shoulder to the grindstone. Just slow back a bit. And now he's seeing things of how, much, how you can relax mm -hmm. but achieve more. You know, the, 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 the actual um, thing of my workshops is do less, earn more. Because you, the, 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 you, you see so much more when you're relaxed, yeah. right? I liken it to a, 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 a poster, you know, these billboards. Everyone's got their nose pressed against it. And all they can see is a load of dots. It don't make no sense, does it? <laughs> but they're going like that. It don't make any sense, but I'm still going to go with it. And I go, shh, come with me. Take one step back. Yeah, still don't make a lot of sense, but it's a bit better. Take two or three steps back. Hang on, this is starting to make sense now. So the further you go away from your problem, the clearer it becomes. Hmm. And that's why a good coach mm -hmm. will be able 
to do that looking for you and say, this is what I see about your problem. Because, and the reason, this don't make me any cleverer than anyone else. It's just I've experienced so much and I always look from a distance. I don't jump into the problem with them. And sometimes it's very difficult because sometimes it would be easy to say, well, here's a few quid, that'll help you out, right? But it won't. Mm -hmm. Because unless you actually do it yourself, nothing's going you ain't going to learn anything and you'll be back in a worse position right so sometimes it's very difficult not to actually say i could give temporary relief here but the point is the lesson is i'm looking from afar i'm giving you the information that you need right mm -hmm. if you do this it will work trust me <laughs> now as i said it's simple but it ain't easy. Yeah. It's the hardest thing you ever have to do to apply this. But once you do, it's amazing. And once you've applied it, and you've actually got your, you've started on the road to success, mm -hmm. it's amazing. <laughs> because you, you've got the rules then of how to do it. I mean, my life, I can't, it's just unbelievable. <laughs> and, and yet this is when, I, when things went wrong, and I was told to create a vision, it was, bit of a property portfolio, so I've got, you know, residual income. Forget all your big money, your big piles of money. The only thing you need when you're my age is a regular income. Forget everything else. Don't worry about big houses and all the bits and pieces. You just create a residual income and you will be happy. Because <laughs> there's only one thing interferes with my work. Golf. <laughs> And sometimes I have to ring my clients and say, sorry, someone's just rung up and I've got to play golf. And they all understand it because that's one of the rules of working with me, right? Really? But it shows them <laughs> how flexible. I mean, obviously, I wouldn't yeah. leave anyone in the lurch. And that would jump <laughs> yeah. but, but, you know, golf, holidays, working with people, it's, you know, and it just, you know, my thoughts on money, are that if I'm doing the right thing, I'm not trying to hurt anyone, I'm trying to help as many people as possible, mm -hmm. and the money just seems to sort itself out. Hmm. How, so. How, so how do you define success then? Success is doing what you want to do, when you want to do it, and having the time and money to allow you to do it. That is success. Now, that could be sitting under a banyan tree chanting mantras somewhere in India. Right, if that's what you want to do, mm -hmm. that's success. So success is actually doing what you want to do. Now, a lot of people say, oh, but I, I enjoy my business. Say, fancy a game of golf, so I ain't got time. Do you fancy a game of golf? Yes, but I ain't got time. That ain't success, <laughs> right? So success is being, is being flexible. Success is actually understanding that things ain't gonna fall apart. It's like when people like try and build their business and they go, I, I need to employ someone, but no one to do it as good as me. So well, we all think that. We all think we're superheroes, don't mm -hmm. we? But I tell them, do you know want to know a secret? So what's that? There's fucking thousands of people can do it better than you, but you just got to find them. You see, what we do, and I had this conversation with someone the other day, what we do, and I thought this was quite good. You get a person in, and you're judging them against how you do it, right? So you're judging that person, so you're looking for another you. 
<laughs> but you found yeah. someone who's nothing like you and got different thoughts to you, yet you're judging them doing a job on how you do it, mm -hmm. right? So I liken it. Funny enough, I was coming here, so I used Edinburgh. I said, now listen, get 20 people, right? And say to them, we'll meet in Edinburgh on Wednesday. Now, the odds are that they'll all get there, right? Some might be late, but the odds are they'll all get there. But they won't all come the same way, mm -hmm. and they won't all use the same mode of transport, but they will get there. Hmm. So if that person that you've um, brought in to do your job or to do a job in your company, don't judge them on how you do it. Let them do it. Yeah. And then judge it on what their result. But you see that people, they do it and they're standing over them, looking at them like that and putting pressure on them. And yeah. they, they're, not, they're not relaxed or doing what they should be doing. So you say, right, there's the job. That's what you've got to do. You've got to get to Edinburgh. <laughs> right? He'll arrive at Edinburgh. He might have, but you might be able to give him a bit of advice. Say, what on earth did you go through whatever? Why did you go that way? If you'd have gone straight up the M6, <laughs> you'd have been... Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, so you yeah. comment on results. Uh -huh, exactly. But we're so governed about saying we want to find another us. Oh, no one could do it as good as me. <laughs> I used to think that. I think no one could do that as good as me. And then once you start putting things out, they do it better than you. Yeah. <laughs> because it's what they want to do. You mm. see, if you give a job to someone, that's what they want to do. They do it well. And yet you're doing it. You're doing your bookkeeping at night with a couple of beers going, oh, where's that other receipt? Yeah, you yeah. put it all in a carrier bag and give it to someone who likes bookkeeping. They love it. They eat it up and get it all done properly. And you're sitting there up, you know, that's when you get time to have a game of golf. <laughs> oh, excellent. <laughs> what do you feel is your purpose in life at the moment? I don't want to sound mushy. But I really, really, really love passing this message, giving this message and letting people, through example, showing them how powerful they are, mm. right? Because that's the, that, that's the thing is we all hold ourselves back because we're all, we're all a little bit frightened about the unknown, right? But I know that if you know where you're going, Everything unfolds. You've got to do. You've got to do the things that you need to do. It ain't a case of just like all that airy fairy secret looking at a ring in the shop and it turning up the next day. It's a load of rubbish. But the thing is, if you genuinely want that ring and you fixed it in your mind, everything makes sense because all of a sudden, I call. I see. I've got this thing that I call the financial gap, the financial void, right? People come to my workshops and they go, oh, I'd love to go to Disneyland. I said, what's stopping you? Money. Oh, yeah. What are you going to save up? Oh, yeah. You'll never do it. What do you mean? Because you'll always find something better to do with the money. <laughs> yeah. Shall I tell you what to do? Get your credit card out, pay for it, <laughs> and by the time you go, things will happen. Because what happens, we get this financial void. Nature loves a vacuum. It it's got to fill a vacuum, right? So when you then start doing things, you've subconsciously got the cost of the holiday. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how it works, right? I've got people that tell me they can explain it, but I say, like, scientific stuff don't sort of turn me on. <laughs> I'd, rather, I'd rather just do the common sense bit. But every time 
it happens. It's like, you know, you want to go and have a, a lovely restaurant as an experience, book it. Book the restaurant, and then all of a sudden, the subconscious goes to work filling in the gaps, because your conscious mind needs all of it. Where's the money going to come from? Well, we don't know. We don't know yet, because you ain't going for six months, so we don't know what's going to happen in six months. But as you're going along, things keep point ping, ping, or that little job comes in, or you see things, it all makes sense. And then by the time you go, I had someone the other day, a lovely fella, and he's, he, he, he booked Disneyland. He just did it on the strength of coming to one of my workshops. He said, I don't know how it happened, but when we went, I don't know where the money come from, but we went, he had a lovely holiday, and it never, there was no big hole, <laughs> right? There was no big hole where we took the money. It just, it just happened. And I don't know how that works, but something in here, you create the void, mm -hmm. and then it just goes about sorting things out. But then you wouldn't see, you just sit down and, 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 and listen to this, oh, silly old bastard, what, you know. That. <laughs> but I know it works. Yeah. I know it works. It's like every year, you know, I try and, I try and not sort of, when you get to my age, you, you, you've got your bit of money working for you and all that. So I really try not to dig into it, you know, like I like the bit of residual coming in and all that. But I still holiday in Australia or South Africa for a couple of three months a year, <laughs> uh, do what I want to do. And that. But I don't know where that, that just seems to come because I know that I'm going to need the money to go to Cape Town in yeah. February or March. Mm -hmm. And it just seems <laughs> to be there. <laughs> You know, yeah. but all, all the time I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing a bit of work, mm -hmm. doing the thing. No, I don't hurt people with what I charge. I mean, like, I do three half hour bloody in, um, Skype chats. So I'm very fortunate that I can look at someone's situation and say, well, hang on, if you did this, this and this and this, that would definitely help. And mm -hmm. So I do that, you know, try and help people out. I've got clients um, that uh, pay me for like coaching and mentoring on business, mm -hmm. but it's terrific value. You know, I mean, I've got a guy in Australia that uh, his business turns over 500,000 a month, but he's frightened to death of, uh, you know, he just says it won't grow, it won't grow. And I said, well, you know why it won't grow? Because you've got a block in your head because the business is too hard to run now. So all you're looking at in the future is something, a monster, and you're gonna have a bigger monster. So what we do, make where we are where we wanna be, right? So get the business running right, mm -hmm. and once the business is running right, guess how quick it will grow? Because you're looking into the future and it ain't presenting a problem. Mm -hmm. See, it's so simplistic, isn't it? It is so simplistic, and everyone's out there trying to make things difficult. It ain't yeah. difficult. Yeah. The only thing that's difficult is the maybe. <laughs> yes, no, maybe. Right? Get rid of the maybe. Because mm -hmm. that's how your brain should work. Right? The most powerful bloody computer ever, <laughs> and silly ass yeah. is trying to run it. Yeah. I know, I think I'll be able to do that a bit better. Right? <laughs> oh, great stuff. What do you think you'd like your legacy to be? Well, I, I always say a legacy is a garden that you plant, but you never see in flower, right? So I like to think, as I say, I, I don't think I've ever 
done a wrong thing by anyone and if I have I do apologise sincerely but I, that, that's always been me I've, I've like if someone does work for me and it ain't no good I still pay. is that the best you can do yeah pay them I won't be able to use you again but I don't mm. I don't knock them and yeah. start doing you know all that sort of thing um, and I think I'd like my legacy to be would be I don't know he had a laugh maybe I, I, I don't know I just I just try and give this information to as many people as possible mm-hmm. in as simple a way as possible, in a fun way, in a way that resonates with them, and because I know how powerful it is mm. once they actually buy into it. Mm. And, you know, a lot of different people need different ways of, of, of getting the information, if that makes sense, you know, yeah. like, because... This, I'm not going to get too deep now, but there are on the steps. Now, it ain't no use giving someone the information that's relevant to someone on the fifth step if they're still on the first step. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. So you've got to actually give it to them, you know, at that level. So someone who's on the fifth step, you can say, well, this is it, because they can understand the second, third, and fourth step hmm. because they've been there. Does that make sense? Yeah. So. Yeah. It's it, you. You've got to actually dish it out to people at the point that they need it and can understand it. Mm-hmm. And actually, Brad said to me the other day we were just having a little chat, and he said it's it's funny. He said that now looking at things as you get older, how things change, hmm. you know. And that's so that's something you can't buy. Yeah. Them extra thirty years I got on Brad, I said, listen, the only difference because he. he He's so like me, like a bull in the bleeding china. Shot down, have it as a go, does this, that, and gets things happening. But you see, you can't buy them thirty years. No matter how much money you got, mm-hmm. so it's nice that I can say to him, "Well, you know, this is what I think, and that's what I think." And that, and you know, he he, he takes some on board, and I expect some of it. He says, like everyone else, silly old bastard. What would he know? But you know, <laughs> looking back, looking yeah. back. Is, is that, 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 that you cannot buy wisdom. Mm-hmm. Knowledge is knowing. Wisdom is applying knowledge and acting on the results. <laughs> right? So you can have knowledge, but this, you know, it's like, you know, in the self-development thing, so, so many people out there have just read a book. Yeah. You can't teach someone that you just read a book. It's all right if it's history, because it don't matter, because you're talking about dinosaurs and what they look like. Well, no one really knows what it looked like, so it <laughs> don't matter. But, you know, when you're actually talking about experiences and telling someone about life, how can you talk about life when you're 23 years old? Yeah. You ain't had a life. Yeah. You haven't experienced it. You've got to get kicked in the teeth a few times, haven't you? Mm-hmm. You've got to get, you know know how to duck and dive and do it. Mm. And that's the value that I think I bring to people is mm-hmm. that, you know, I ain't been a good boy all my life. I've done some like, things, I've not hurt anyone, but mm. I've, done a, I've done a few things, a little bit near the mark and, you know, but now looking back on all those things, that's my knowledge, that's my wisdom. Yeah. And that's how I help people. Mm-hmm. And I suppose it's the same with legacy was he helped as many people as he could without hurting them. Mm-hmm. What would you say is the best piece of advice you've ever received? The best piece of advice I've ever received? Um, I would say 
that the best piece of advice I ever received from a very, very good friend of mine called Curtis, was a lovely man, he was a mentor of mine when I was very young, and he said to me, Cros, it don't matter what you do, as long as you stand up one more time as you fell over. <laughs> so that's it, and you see so many people fall over. And the, fact, the trouble is, Elliot, you know, I meet so many people and they say that their problem so I understand you're trying to help me, but my problem, this is the worst problem ever. <laughs> you couldn't, you wouldn't have to, you wouldn't be able to solve this one. This is, we all think our problem is the worst one and there's no solution. Listen, bring it back to basics. Bring it back to basics, the solution. Now the answers are simple, but applying them is the hard thing. So that's really what you need to learn and what we took what we talk about in the workshops and things is that of actually knowing how to apply things and listen if you if you do something that I say and it gives you relief for an hour you know it works but then you've let the the the, the, the vicious voices back in your head who told you right you know and you get back to stressing again well get into that relaxed state again and make it last two hours that's the process. Mm -hmm. So you know it works, but you've allowed them voices in, right? So then you've got two hours. Now you know it works for two hours. So if it works for two hours, why can't it work for four, <laughs> right? So that's how you do it, so that you get, you, you know, most people think, like, it's took me 25 years to get to the point. I drive my wife mad. Absolutely, she don't, you get annoyed about nothing. Because I've got to the point now where if something's going wrong, as it's going wrong, I've solved it. Because I've asked two questions. Is there anything else I can do, right? And I've done everything I can. And if I've asked them two questions and it's yes, no, I, it, it, I don't even, you know, yeah. alter things. I was in a restaurant with Brad. This is a lovely story. And he'd invited me down there to talk at uh, uh, one of his Brad camps. And he took me out for a curry the night before. And we're sitting in the restaurant and I've got my phone on the, on the table like that. And all of a sudden, ping, there's a message. Uh, uh, I suppose you know by now, you've left your case at home, Val. Oh, oh shit, so I've just carried on eating like that. He said, is that it? I said, what do you mean? He said, I'd have gone bleeding mad if, that, if I'd done that. I said, you know, what can I do? And, you know, because as I'm reading that, I'm, I'm upset that I ain't got a clean shirt and underpants and all that for tomorrow, but it ain't the end of the world, is yeah. it? So I'm looking at it, see, have I done, is it, can I do anything about it? No, so I just carried on eating my thing. And then after that, we went up, I think it was Sainsbury's and I bought a shirt, <laughs> a pair of underpants and some socks, solved, <laughs> right? So, but I could have actually sort of spoilt my meal, Yeah. Gone yeah. on about it. Blame Val. Yeah. Because she didn't put it in the car. Because I normally blame Val for a lot of things that <laughs> I can't find results for. Bless her. She's the same one of the two, see, which is Andy. <laughs> if you had the opportunity to speak to your 20-year-old self, what would you say? If I had the opportunity to speak to my 20-year-old self, I would, I would not want... Now this sounds silly because like losing the business and all the bits and pieces, but I'd say to my 20 year old self, just do what you got to do and deal with things as they happen. 
because I don't. I think life is about the experiences, mm-hmm. and I firmly believe it's about the ups and downs, and it's the resilience of the downs that's going to, you know, do it. And it always at the back of my mind, Curtis, get up one more time than you fall down, and you'll be all right. Hmm. That's a great answer. Yeah. <laughs> if you could change anything in the world, what would it be, and why? If I could change anything in the world. I would change the distribution of wealth. Hmm. Um, and Because I think that we're heading into a very, very dodgy period in the world at the moment. Uh, not least of all because of the internet and the fact that you've got this false stuff that they can put out and bits of piece. Everyone wants things, to, wants things to happen straight away. No one's prepared to put any effort in. Mm-hmm. We've got a benefit-dependent society, da-da-da-da-da. And you see, the, the, the thing is, there ain't no shortage of money because you know where it comes from. Mm-hmm. It's out of thin air, right? <laughs> so who's going to pay back? See, we, we only talk about the deficit. We don't talk about the debt. Yeah. The debt's 1.7 trillion, right? Now, that, you just can't comprehend 1.7 trillion. A thousand billion is a trillion. Mm-hmm. A thousand billion. And we talk <laughs> about it like it's a wart on an elephant's ass. It's ridiculous. It's yeah. absolutely ridiculous. The, the, the total debt in the world at some point our friends, and I think it's the Rothschilds that own it all. I don't, otherwise, who does? Mm. They own all the things. But they ain't actually done nothing to get it. They've just created it out of thin air, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> Produced it. And at some point, they've got to say, right, everything's sorted out, okay? Let's get some people in positions of power that know what to do. Because mm-hmm. there ain't no shortage of money. Mm-hmm. You think of a pound... In three goes, it's the government that got it back because you've got VAT on it, hmm. you've got fucking, uh, taxes, you've got excise tax on petrol. You go in a garage, they get it back in one hit virtually, don't they? <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> so there ain't no shortage. They keep getting the money back, mm-hmm. but we ain't got anyone who knows what to do with it because mm-hmm. all these people, they all go to university and think they're so clever. Like we had a um, George Osborne being a, 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 the Chancellor of the Exchequer he wouldn't have a clue. Yeah. He wouldn't have a clue what, what, what our normal people live. Mm-hmm. So, and he's making all these decisions. I mean, I sometimes sit down and, 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 I, and I read what they've decided to do. So how can that work? How can that possibly bloody work? And so what we need is we need a, a load of people that know about things. I reckon we should have businessmen in politics, mm-hmm. but they don't pay enough. You think that the Prime Minister gets 140 grand a year. That's a bit of a stretch to live on if you, you know, like in the life they've got to lead, mm. right? And yet the bloke who's running the local national health group yeah. gets 600 grand a year. Now, where's that work? Mm-hmm. Now, it's just, yeah. everything's mad, isn't it? So I think that, that like, if, if I could change one thing, it would be to have people in positions of power that know how to sort out all that everyone pays their due and all that as i say in my life things have always gone right when i've played the game Mm -hmm. every time i've tried to avoid paying tax or do that like i'm hiding behind hang on that could be the tax man i'll hide here for a minute or whatever you're not playing the game right Mm -hmm. your mind's got to be free and do it right but you see, the thing is, what the, what gets people annoyed is when you, you you pay your tax and then you give it to the government, and they like just do the wrong things with it. Yeah, 
crazy. So that would be the only thing really I'd do is I'd like I'd like to see distribution of wealth sorted out because you've, the people there that have got nothing and people that could cl clear a, a, a country's debt yes. with what they own and that's yeah. just ridiculous. Yeah. And it's the ones that can clear the country's debt that are trying to avoid paying the tax. Yeah, exactly. So that's, I mean, that just doesn't make any sense. So no. somehow I'd have to sort that out. I'm 100% with you on that. And, and genuinely, I think probably my answer to that question would be the same thing. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it's a problem. I'm not sure quite how we get to a solution, yeah. but... Cross, thank you so much. This has been a fantastic interview. Um, I have absolutely loved speaking with you and I'm greatly, um, you know, really appreciate the fact that you've, you've come up to do this. It's been, it's been brilliant. I've learned a huge amount from you. Right. <laughs> Wait till <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> oh, when I've got me bald out, I'd like to do some drawings. <laughs> Great stuff. Cross, thank you so much. You're more than welcome. Thanks <laughs> very much. Thank you for listening to Inspired Edinburgh. Please come and find us on social media and leave us a review on iTunes. Many thanks.